Today's scripture is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. It can be found on page 575, as well as 576 of your pew Bible. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze and the young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Hey, uh, we're in week two of Advent. This is the second Sunday of Advent. And for thousands of years, Christians have used the season before Christmas uh, as a period of waiting and fasting and reminding ourselves that light has come into darkness. So in, uh, in our kind of consumeristic uh, culture, the Christmas season is always really bright. It's really uh, cheerful, maybe kind of like a faux uh, cheerfulness, you know, a manufactured sparkliness. Uh, Advent is not a manufactured sparkliness to try to add on, to tack on to the first few weeks before Christmas. Advent is a time actually where Christians have looked into the world to see that there is darkness out there. We acknowledge darkness. We acknowledge that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. We are still a people who are waiting for God to come and do something about our situation. And so during Advent, we do things like light candles. Uh, we light candles to show that light has come into the world. It might just feel like a small flickering light right now, but light has come and is coming into the world. And so we, we're, we're spending these four weeks before Christmas uh, examining kind of the four historic themes of Advent, which are hope, peace, joy, and love. Because when Jesus comes into the world, that's what he brings. He brings real lasting hope, real peace. That isn't just the absence of conflict, but it is the transformation of everything that's dark and broken in a healing new creation. He brings joy and he brings love. And so this week we are talking about peace. 
We talked about hope last week. We looked at Genesis 3, uh, which kind of gives this story about uh, the origins of sin, death, brokenness in the world. It gives us an explanation for why things are the way that we are. And it also gives us a lot of hope because in response to darkness, in response to death, in response to sin, God shows up and God makes promises and God overcomes death darkness, and sin. And today, our theme is peace, and it builds on everything that we talked about last week because the content of our hope, the thing that we are hoping for, is that one day the entire world will be full of peace. That's the future. According, according to this passage in Isaiah, according to um, the whole scope of the Bible, the future of the world is God's presence breaking in, filling everything, and bringing a real lasting peace. And there's a whole lot that we could talk about when we talk about peace. Uh, turn, on the, turn on your radio, go, go to a Christmas station, and you'll hear songs about peace all over the place, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, war is over if you want it. Um, we, we, we talk about peace a lot during the, Christmas, uh, during the Christmas season, and that's really good because our world is full of conflict, anxiety, and desperately trying to find relief somewhere, trying to find a solution somewhere. And that's, that's not a new thing. I think we're tempted a lot of times to think that the world is uniquely bad right now. Like our circumstances are just like really uniquely bad. Things have been bad always, right? And so the, uh, the, the, the situation that the prophet Isaiah is, is speaking into is a world that is ruined. It's a world that is dark. It's broken. And out of that kind of world, out of the kind of world that we live in, there is a new life springing out of dead places, old enemies being reconciled, and all nations experiencing the benefit of living in a world that is full of the presence of God. So what kind of peace are we talking about? What, what, what do we mean when we're talking about peace? Well, peace, it, it, you could talk about it as a holistic kind of well-being, absence of conflict, absence of war. Isaiah, though, isn't just talking about personal peace, personal well-being, uh, personal, mental, spiritual, physical, emotional wellness. Isaiah, in the picture that he's painting right now, is talking about worldwide peace. He's talking about a world that is healed from war and division and enmity. But I think that um, from that kind of world, from that kind of peace that Jesus is bringing, uh, we experience tons of personal peace. Um, so if we look really closely at this picture of Isaiah 11, we see a picture of new creation. God's making a new uh, Eden. He's proving to be faithful to the promises we heard him make to Adam and Eve last week in Genesis chapter three. Um, so why do we focus on peace during Advent? Well, we, we focus on peace because we live in a world that is crying out for it. We wonder if we'll ever find it. And Advent reminds us that peace flows from the presence of Jesus. Do you wanna find real peace? Peace flows from the presence of Jesus. There's a, there's a thousand techniques that you can find to uh, decrease stress, uh, get rid of anxiety in your life, help you to be more peaceful. Those are all really, really good things, but real lasting peace, worldwide peace, flows from the presence of Jesus. And so what, what I wanna do today is just ask three questions uh, from this text in Isaiah chapter 11. The first is, where do we find this kind of peace? 
Um, what, what is that peace? What does that peace look like? How is it experienced? And then number three, how do we get it today? How do we start living into it right now? So where do we find peace? What is peace? And then how do we experience? Uh, to get into that, let me just tell you a little bit about the situation that Isaiah is writing into, because I think it's really important. We preached on Isaiah a couple years ago. He's a prophet who lived in ancient Jerusalem in the eighth century BC, and he's living in a kingdom that is weak and failing. Things are falling apart. Um, it's the, the land has already been split in two by civil war. The northern half of the kingdom was just destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Jerusalem, where Isaiah lives, could see Assyria marching towards them. And when Assyria marches towards you, they do not lose. So things are really bad for Isaiah and the people who are living around him. It is a desperate, dark time. But the thing that bugged Isaiah more than that, more than the fact that um, Assyria is kind of on the doorsteps, is coming for them, was that the city and the nation that he lived in was full of darkness and violence itself. The problem wasn't just out there. The problem was very much inside of us. The problem was inside the walls. And we see that in weak and wicked leaders throughout Isaiah and in the everyday idolatry of the people who are all around them. We do not get a picture of a flourishing, peaceful society. Instead, we see pictures of men in conflict, fighting over land and resources, trying to take advantage of others, perverting justice, robbing the poor. And Isaiah's job from God is to hold all of this up to the people, to warn them and to confront them that if they uh, continue on their path, God is gonna bring judgment. And so he, he warns them, hey, turn back from what you're doing. Turn back and trust in the God who made you. And if you do that, if you trust in him, then he will always save you. And so that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 11. Um, and we have chapter breaks in our Bibles. We have verses in our Bibles. Those were not there originally. So when Isaiah is first writing this, um, it's all part of one big story or prophecy that he's writing. So chapter 10 is really important for helping us understand about chapter 11. What do we see in chapter 10? we see God showing up and coming in complete judgment. Let me just read a couple verses out of chapter 10 to you. In chapter uh, 10, verse 22 through 23, it says, destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. So Isaiah is saying, hey, look, look what God is going to do. God will not let wickedness, evil, uh, exploitation, oppression, all of the things, all the darkness that we see and feel outside of us, God's not gonna let that stand forever. He is going to come and do something about this. And chapter 10 is what God comes and does about it. At the, at the very end of it, uh, verses 33 and 34, behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. Uh, Isaiah is kind of painting a picture of the world as, as a forest, right? Um, and all these different trees are different nations. Uh, they're really big. They're really strong. And what does God do? Well, he comes and he cuts them all down. The great and height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He'll cut down the thickets of the forest with an ax and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And so um, our chapter begins in a wasteland. Everything is broken. Everything is cut down. Um, there are just stumps everywhere. Our chapter begins just like Advent does in darkness. 
And yet, it also shows us where we find peace. So where do we find peace? We find peace under the leadership of King Jesus. Because, because that's who this chapter is really all about. It's really apparent when you read this that Isaiah is not just speaking um, about something that God will do in, the pre in his present time. He's, he's talking about what God is going to do in the future. So look, look down with me at chapter 11, verse one. In this broken wasteland, he says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So I don't know if you've ever uh, driven through Colorado and seen um, like a mountain or a patch of land that's just been kind of leveled by a forest fire. Everything is burned down, everything is broken, everything is dark, or um, if, you, if there's a piece of construction uh, that's being built and they clear a patch of land and all the trees are just kind of broken, mangled. That's the kind of picture that we are stepping into at the beginning of chapter 11, verse one. That's the kind of stump that he is talking about. There, there's gonna come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It's just mangled black destruction. And yet, Isaiah says that even when that happens, even when the worst happens, there is a shoot. Think about it like a young tree or a plant sprouting up this tiny little stem that is going to come forth. New life will grow, but it's not just any kind of generic new life. It's a shoot that is coming from Jesse. Who is Jesse? That, that's, a great, that's a great question. Uh, Jesse is the father of David. King David in the Bible is the ideal king uh, all throughout the story of the Old Testament. The kings who come from the line of David are always compared to him. And the, and the kings that come from uh, David are, are generally train wrecks. There, there are a few good ones, uh, but most of them are self-serving. They're failures. And so if Isaiah said, hey, a, a shoot is gonna come from the stump of David, well, that's not that big of a deal because we've already had tons and tons of shoots come from David and they have all let us down. They have all failed. They have all sought their own way. They have not honored God. They have not protected the people. Everyone has failed. But this isn't a shoot from David. This is a shoot from Jesse, which means that God is promising, what? Another David, another ideal king, not another one who's just gonna go after his own way, another man after God's own heart. Because David, when he shows up, that's, that's how he's described. He's this man after God's own heart. He rescues Israel from her enemies. He refuses over and over and over and over again to seize power for himself. And when he does come into power, he uses it to give rest, peace to his people. There's this great story in 1 Samuel when David is kind of on the run uh, from King Saul. And it says that um, all of the poor, all of those who were in debt, basically all the losers and outcasts of society flock to David because he's the one who is going to take care of them, provide for them, give them rest because he brings real justice. He brings real peace. David is an ideal king. But now, David's kingdom is, it's, it's ruined. It's a burnt, cut down stump. So even the best king is not capable of bringing any kind of lasting peace. And so what does God say that he's going to do? Well, he's gonna bring forth another David, a better David who's actually qualified and capable of bringing peace. And I think that's really important because 
We have all sorts of strategies for how we think we should uh, bring peace in the world. There are, there are a million different ideas on how to find it. So, so, some would say that if, if you really want to find peace in the world, well, it's gonna require a revolution, right? You have to overthrow all the unjust structures, you have to level everything, and then once we level everything, we can just rebuild a new society. Others, uh, after the fall of communism, they thought that if we just spread capitalism and democracy all through the world, well, that's gonna bring peace. Because if people have a say, if people have enough, well, then there's just gonna be peace and prosperity that follows everywhere. Other people have thought um, that with a more cynical view of the world, the only way to maintain peace is through force and strength, right? So how do you make sure that there's peace? Well, you just make sure that we have more resources, more guns, more weapons than the bad guys. And if we do that, then we can just maintain the peace. And others, like John Lennon, think that war is over if you just want it enough. If we could just become more educated, or direct our longings in the right direction, then we can finally experience real peace in the world. The problem with all these strategies is that they depend on people. And we are at war with ourselves, right? Like you get annoyed when your coffee order is wrong. You're not capable of overcoming war and the, the lack of peace in the world because you're not even at peace with yourself. If you can't even be at peace with yourself, how in the world are we expected to find peace broadly in the whole world? We're conflicted on the inside. We're driven by passions we don't want. And we all need that. We need something that is just bigger than us to bring us the kind of peace that we are looking for. And that's exactly who Isaiah is pointing us to. He says, hey, you're right. You don't have the resources inside of yourself to make this happen. You cannot bring new life out of a dead shoot or a dead stump, but God can, and God does. This branch leader brings fruit that changes the whole world. And Jesus, Ray Ortland says, who this is all about, doesn't need our mechanisms for power. He is not like us. He is another way to build the world of our dreams. Unlike every other human leader in the sorry length of our history, Jesus is literally qualified to rule the world. We have nothing to fear from him. Why? Well, we, we see why in, in verses two through five. Uh, this, this leader that is going to bring peace, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He doesn't judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Jesus possesses real wisdom and understanding, which is, which is really important, right? Because so often we do not have peace because we don't know what to make of a situation, right? We look out at the things in front of us. We don't know who to believe. We don't know what to believe. We don't know how to fix it. Jesus knows. He has understanding. He is strong. He cannot be overcome. Everything that he does flows from knowledge and fear of God. Everything about him knows who God is, what God loves, and his kingdom is built on this knowledge, this knowledge of God, which brings real justice. And when Isaiah says that he's going to judge the poor with righteousness, it means that he doesn't play favorites. 
It means that he doesn't exploit people who are weaker than him to try to get things out of him. When Jesus comes, wrongs are made right, and that is what righteousness and faithfulness brings. And this, this, this leader brings a kind of peace that we cannot find anywhere else. He brings a peace that we're not capable of bringing to this world. And it's not just circumstantial or dependent on things going our way. Jesus literally builds his kingdom of peace out of ruin and destruction. And here's the thing. If he can do that in the whole world, then he can do it for you. That's, that's, the, that's the whole implication of this thing. If God is capable through Jesus of restoring the entire mess of the world, then he can do it absolutely in our lives too. And verses six through 10 show us the kind of world that this Jesus, this new leader, this shoot from Jesse brings. So what is the kind of peace that Jesus brings? The kind of peace he brings looks like, and this is really important. A lot of times the Bible doesn't um, like give us a bullet pointed list of definitions. It paints pictures for us, right? And we're supposed to engage in these pictures and we're supposed to be like, okay, so that's what, that's what peace looks like. That's what flourishing looks like. That's what justice looks like. So it's really important at, when we come to verses like wolves lying down with lambs um, to just, like engage our imaginations. Um, and, and this picture that it paints shows us a world where former enemies live in harmony in God's presence. You've probably heard these verses before, right? If you've grown up in church, uh, you've, you've been around them, lying, laying down with a lamb. That's a pretty familiar um, picture. If you're familiar, try to just spend a little bit thinking about how strange this scene would be because it describes the complete transformation of nature, the complete transformation of the entire world. And in verses six through eight, there are three aspects of this transformation that I think are really important for us to grasp and see. Let me show them to you. The first part of this piece, the first aspect of this piece that Jesus brings is the death of old hostilities. What is peace? Peace is the death of enmity, the death of hostility. And you see that in these predators living peacefully right next to the things that they used to eat, right? Wolf, lamb, leopard, goat, um, calf, lion. You don't have to be a zoologist to know some of these animals eat, other, eat the other ones, right? But here they are with all that hostility completely gone. One of my favorite parts about this in, in verse six, when it says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, um, that, that word dwell um, is, is more like an extension of hospitality, right? And so it, it paints this picture of a wolf coming uh, in need and in weakness and a lamb opening up his home to show hospitality to this big bad wolf. There's a complete reversal of how things normally are. The weak are strong. The predators don't prey on the ones that are weak. The lamb offers shelter and protection to the wolf. And when King Jesus comes, hostilities die and they're reoriented and there is peace in the world. The second aspect of this peace, it's not just the death of old hostilities, it is the transformation of old natures. Because how do hostilities go away? How do they die? Something has to change. 
And the thing that changes is the nature of these predators. These predators are not predators anymore. Bears are grazing with cows. Lions are eating straw with oxen. Um, and, and it isn't just for one generation because in verse seven, their children are doing it together. It's this permanent transformation of nature. There's a permanent change and what, what's the implication of this? What happens when predators aren't predators anymore? Well, it, it means the death of death. You don't have to have some creatures killing others in order to live anymore. Death goes away. Death dies. It isn't required for some to survive. And then finally, we see the death of the curse. Where do we see that? We, we see it in verse 8 with his nursing child, he's gonna play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child should put his hand in the adder's den. Remember back in Genesis three, we talked about this a little bit last week. If you weren't here, let me recap it for you. Um, in Genesis three, you see the undoing of all of creation, right? The world now exists underneath a curse. Sin and death reign, and that's symbolized by this snake, this serpent who comes, draws people away from God, and um, makes them think, no, we, we can do it on our own. And God, in response to that, places a curse on the snake, on the serpent, and says, hey, there is going to be enmity, hostility between the children of the woman and you forever. But what we see here in Isaiah chapter 11 is that that curse is now broken, because there's not enmity between a child and a snake. These children are just playing with snakes. It's the worst parents ever, right? Who like, we, we get freaked out uh, when our kids just kind of wander off and like we, don't, we, we lose track of them for a second. These parents are so unconcerned that their kids are just literally like reaching into snake holes and, and playing with them. Why? Because the curse is gone. God has overcome it and has brought a new world that is marked by true harmony, true shalom, true peace. And we also see this really beautiful picture of uh, a child leading uh, the, the wolf, the lamb, the leopard, the goat, the calf, the lion. And it's pointing to this restoration of true human vocation, true human work, where Adam was given uh, dominion, responsibility for all of creation that fell. Now our work is marked by suffering, pain, toil, now we have children who are harmoniously leading all of creation. And all of this happens because the world is full, not of the presence of the right mindfulness programs, the right education, the right, re the right leaders, the right programs. It's because the entire earth will be full of the knowledge of the, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a, that's, that's a funny saying as the waters cover the sea because without water, there, there is no sea. The, like the water is the sea. The water fills everything. And that's this picture of the world that God is, uh, is bringing where his knowledge, his presence fills up everything. And maybe you hear that and you think it just means that uh, people know a lot about God. They know the right facts about him. They know who he is. They know how he operates. That's not what real knowledge means because that's not what we think of when we think about the way that you know a person, right? The way that you know your best friend, the way that you know your spouse. Knowledge of somebody uh, indicates a really deep relationship, a dwelling together, a love for the other person person. And that is what the future of our world is, knowing him, walking with him, being completely acquainted with him. And it's his presence that we were made for. 
It's what's coming for us in abundance, not in drought. And when this happens, verse 10, when, when, when all of this happens, the root of Jesse, do you catch that? It started out as the shoot of Jesse. Now you have the root of Jesse will stand as a signal for the peoples. So now we have another transformation. The shoot is a root, and, and you don't need to be a botanist. And when, when I was prepping this, I kept wanting to say uh, herbologist, which I'm pretty sure that's just Harry Potter, um, right? You don't have to be a botanist. You could be a herbologist, though. You don't have to be a botanist to know that branches are not the same things as roots. They're, they're different because a, a shoot comes out of the stump. It needs the stump for life. But the stump comes from the root. It needs root for life. And, it, and that's significant about Jesus because Jesus is the shoot of Jesse, a human descendant coming from him, this new king who's coming into the world as a human born thousands of years later. But he is also the root from which Jesse came. He's the source of Jesse. And one scholar says that in the Old Testament, th this is a dilemma that's awaiting resolution. It's never really solved, but we know because this is incarnation. Jesus really is one of us, really truly human, and he is the source of everything, the one bringing life, very God of very God, the root from which all life springs. And when he comes, Isaiah says, it's like a signal drawing the entire world to himself. You have all of these nations. They see this kind of world that Jesus is bringing and they're saying, we want in on that. We want this kind of rest. We want to participate in this kind of glory that Jesus is bringing. And Jesus points back to this verse when he says, hey, when I am lifted up, I will draw the whole world to myself. And he's talking about the cross there. The banner the signal that draws all of the nations into life, healing, and peace is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's on the cross where humans find peace with God. It's on the cross where God turns death into life. And it's on the cross that real glory comes into the world. The hope of the world, the hope of the nations, hope of peace is finding rest in the presence of Jesus, which is glory. At the end of verse 10, his resting place, uh, my translation says, shall be glorious. The, the, the most literal translation of that will be, um, his resting place will be glory. The place where flourishing happens is the glory of Jesus. And if you aren't a Christian, I'm really, I'm really, really glad that you're here. Um, may, maybe you should, maybe you're asking yourself if it's really possible um, that this, this can happen. I just want to invite you um, to consider that we're living out the truth of this verse, like right now. Why are we talking about this thousands of years later? I mean, Isaiah wrote this 3,000 years ago. And we're still talking about it. Why? Because we're the nations that saw the signal and said, oh no, we want in on that. We, we, want, to, we, we want rest. We're all looking for real peace where we want new creation. We want a new way of living. And we see this Jesus has it for us. Why in the world are we here thousands of years after Isaiah and after Jesus unless he really is the God man who's coming to bring peace into the world? 
There's an early church father named Athanasius. He wrote a book called On the Incarnation, uh, which is a great book to read uh, this, this, this time of year. And he, he would over and over and over and over and over again um, just write and ask questions to people who were struggling to believe um, that Jesus was who he said he was. And he, and he would just say, hey, just look, what do you do with the fact that the entire world was changed after Jesus? Does a dead man prick the conscience of men? Is what he would just say over and over and over again. No. He doesn't. There is something more going on here with Jesus. There is a new kingdom that he is bringing, and that is where peace is found. If you're looking for real peace, it flows from him. If you want to start experiencing this kind of world right now, you can like we're still waiting for it to come in fullness. That's what Advent is all about, right? It's Advent is about waiting. Advent is about looking at this picture in Isaiah 11, looking at the world right now and saying, well, that's not, that's not the way that it is. Jesus, when are you gonna come? When are you gonna make this finally fully right again? But if you're a Christian, we get little tastes of this right now. We get glimpses of it. We get the power that um, compels all of this, that underlies all of this in our life right now. So if you're wondering um, the, the so what, the, the how do we experience this in our life right now, um, I, I have um, three suggestions for you. How do you experience peace right now? Well, you look to Jesus. What you look at and what you think about really, really matters. What you think about your future, what you think about what is in store for you really matters, right? Because if you tell yourself over and over and over again, well, just, you know, this isn't going to work because the worst always happens, right? He, he never comes through. That will always be the way that it is. Um, and, I, and I'm never ever going to get, uh, like that impacts the way that you live in the world. That impacts your inner sense of well-being. But what if... What if you were convinced that no matter what's going to happen later today or tomorrow or at your family Christmas party, this is actually your future? That your future isn't necessarily the fact that your dad will never change, but the future is the fact that God changes natures. And, we, and we're frustrated by that all the time because it, it happens really, really slowly, right? But if we look at this over and over and over again and say, no, if, if, if God's the kind of God who can make a wolf friends with a lamb and make bears eat grass instead of little cows, well, then maybe he can change this also. And my future, no matter what, is living in this kind of world that God is going to bring, that changes the way that you live right now. That changes the way that you experience your circumstances and your relationships. But we get distracted so often, right? Because our circumstances feel really real. The things that we're facing feel really, really real. And they are really real. This is more real. The promises of God, the strength of God to bring this about is your hope for peace. And as you look at him, and as you look at the cross, as you remember, no, I, I'm somebody who's adopted into God's family. I have peace with God. The cross of Jesus Christ brings me peace with God. Slowly, slowly, slowly over time, that gets inside of us and helps us to live as peacemakers and peaceful people in a world that is broken and cut down and dark. So we look to him. Next, we wait. We keep on waiting. And that's what Advent is all about. It's about waiting. 
And a lot of you are waiting on a lot of different things. You're waiting to see how this conflict will resolve. You're waiting to see whether or not um, you will ever get married. You're waiting to see whether or not you will ever have children. You're waiting to see whether or not this job is ever going to be what you thought it would be or if it's just going to be misery for the next 20 or 30 years. We're all waiting on all sorts of different things, right? And it's really, really hard to wait faithfully and obediently, especially when disobedience might be a lot easier. Like, I think, I think we've all had that um, inner dialogue you know, play out in our minds. Like, is it really worth it? Like, is it really worth it to follow Jesus in this situation? Is it really worth it to give up my own preferences for the sake of this other pe- person? Is it really worth it to love sacrificially? Is it really worth it to hold to a biblical sex ethic? Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it when you are feeling lonely? Is it really worth it when you are feeling worn down? The message of Isaiah 11 is that waiting on the Lord never ends in disappointment. Waiting for him in obedience ends in this kind of world, living there. So if you feel like the sting of waiting or the ache of loneliness, keep on waiting because God is bringing this kind of world. This is what your future is and looks like. I love this quote by J.I. Packer in Knowing God. He says, God often keeps us waiting. He's not in such a hurry as we are. And it's not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. When in doubt, do nothing but continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. How do you cultivate peace? You wait on God. You look to him. And then finally, you love him. And you love the world that he made. And you long for the world that he is going to bring. All throughout this passage, we see pictures of Jesus delighting in the Lord. Who is Jesus? He's, he's one who delights in God. What is, what is the future? The future is when the knowledge of God fills the entire world like the water fills the sea. And the deepest form of knowing something or somebody is love. Because when you, when you see somebody fully, when you know them completely, you, you have, I mean, you have a couple options. You could say, okay, I know that fully and I'm just gonna go another way. Or you can choose to love it, to cultivate desire for it, to move in that direction, to be close to that person. And so that's what we do with God. That's why we're here every single week. We're here cultivating love and longings because our, our loves and longings are all over the place, right? We get distracted all the time. We forget all the time. But God constantly is calling us back to himself, pointing to the cross, pointing to Jesus, pointing to hope, pointing to the fact that the spirit of God is in you right now. And you cultivate peace. You experience peace when you are loving the right things or loving the right person who is God in Jesus Christ. So, so how, do we, how do we find peace in the world? Peace flows from the presence of Jesus. And so we look to him, we wait for him, and we love him. We draw close to him because that is where there is full joy and full peace. And so friends, the world is in desperate need for peace.
It has been since Genesis 3, and Isaiah is not going to point us to a technique or to a program. He's going to point us to a person, a person of peace. If you want that, if you're looking for that, then run to him. Take him by faith. Find your place in his kingdom, and you'll find eventually over time that this kind of peace that is described right now will be yours. Until it comes fully, we keep on waiting. Advent is all of life. We're waiting for him to come and bring this kingdom fully and finally. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Uh, thank you that you are the, the, the leader, the king, the one that we're looking for. You're the one who knows what to do um, about the mess that our world is in, the mess that we're in. And God, I pray, I pray that um, during this time, during this uh, Christmas season, this Advent season, um, will you bring peace? Will you bring your peace? Will you bring your hope into the world? Uh, because Jesus, we, we need it. We need you. Um, we, we look around and we just like run from thing to thing to thing. Uh, and we fight the anxiety inside of us or try to push down or ignore it. And you're, you're the one who has everything that we need. So, so Lord, will you help us to get glimpses of this kind of peace in our life right now? Um, supernaturally, beyond anything that we can manufacture or come up, up with on our own. Uh, Jesus, we need you. Uh, so Lord, will you bring peace? Will you bring hope? Will you bring joy? And will you bring love by your spirit? I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.